I'm Chad Main, the founder of legal services company Precipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology, innovation in the legal industry, and the impact tech is having on the law. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Felipe Alexandre. He's the principal at AG Immigration. That's an immigration law boutique that is implementing VR, virtual reality, for some of their client consultations. When Felipe Alexandre was seven years old, he and his parents immigrated to America from Brazil when his dad took a job in the States. Growing up in South Florida, Felipe witnessed firsthand the challenges immigrants face adapting to a new country, adapting to a new language, and dealing with a new culture. Fast forward to 2019, and Felipe joined forces with a childhood friend to form AG Immigration. That's a boutique immigration law firm that caters to immigrants from all over the world looking to pursue the American dream. As we will hear, AG Immigration is very forward-looking and is beginning to leverage tech in their practice wherever they can and to stay ahead of the curve. It was with this aim that last year, the firm began to consult with clients using virtual reality, VR. And it sounds like the experiment is starting to gain some traction. Based on Felipe's experiences growing up, it's not surprising he ended up being an immigration lawyer. What he saw as a kid growing up in South Florida motivated him to help other newcomers to America that face the same challenges he and his family did. So Felipe went to law school and landed a job after that, helping out with immigration issues and criminal defense work. Ultimately, he decided to throw out his shingle and began building an immigration practice. Oh, and along the way, he learned more than six languages. You immigrated from Brazil. How old were you when that happened? I was seven years old. My parents had the American dream, and I came along, and I loved it. And where did they immigrate to? South Florida. So it was uh, Broward County, Fort Lauderdale. So did you spend most of your formative years, high school, in South Florida then? I graduated high school from South Florida, correct. And at some point you decide you want to go to law school. What was the motivation to pursue law as a career? There were several things. So one, I, you know, I grew up seeing my parents and my parents' friends kind of struggle getting used to a different language, different culture. And, you know, fortunately, uh, things worked out for my parents. Uh, you know, my father came into a company. It was pretty smooth for him. But for a lot of our friends, it wasn't. And we literally saw people get deported. And that was very scary. So I think that kind of planted a seed in my heart and a desire to help those people. Also, as a young kid, we kind of had some interesting run-ins with the police. And I realized, you know, to my shock that uh, sometimes when people have authority, they'll abuse it. Uh, So I think the combination of those things really, you know, planted a desire in my heart to help the underdog people who, you know, don't really think they have a shot. And then as I was going to law school, actually, something interesting happened. I started learning Mandarin Chinese, and I got really fascinated with just learning the language, learning the culture. I got fascinated with the growth of China. I got fascinated with, you know, people going there, doing business. And I, I went there a few times. I did some internships. And I said, I think I want to live here. You know, I want to live here and be this corporate lawyer. And you're making, you know, out of, out of law school, they were going to pay you 160000 to work in one of those big American law firms. I said, wow, that's a good deal, because in China, <laughs> I'm a millionaire <laughs> right. Uh, right out of law school. But then I, I found out, you know what? I, I want to do more people law. I want to work more with people and not big, uh, big corporations. So it just kind of led me to this path. You said your dad came over. Was he on an unemployment visa? Is that why they, you guys immigrated, or did they just come over and then get a job? So his first time here, he came in through the company. And then later on, he came in, but then he was able to find a job with the company that sponsored him. And you mentioned China. Did I read correctly? You speak six different languages, maybe more? I speak six different languages in which I can do a consultation 
I can talk to clients, I can understand them. And then I've learned some other ones, just, you know, very basic conversational, but I can't work in those languages. What's your methodology? How do you learn them? You know, I always start out with an app called Pimsleur, P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R. Uh, it's an app now. When I started uh, back in the day, there were cassette tapes, but they have, uh, you know, most of the major languages. And I, I just like his method. He, he kind of teaches you and, and, and asks you to repeat it or, you know, figure out how to say certain things. So that's a, that's a good foundation. And then I uh, just go, you know, nowadays, my goodness, it's all kinds of resources. I mean, YouTube is amazing. They have all kinds of channels to teach you the language. So now we have more resources than we've never had before. We have online teachers and, and very affordable. And then get into the communities and start practicing. That's the best part. So I assume Portuguese is your native tongue, correct? Portuguese is a native tongue, yeah. So then you learn English. What's the next language you learn? Grew up in South Florida, man. We had to learn Spanish. Say, yeah. and without, I was like, a, it, it's almost like, what? You don't speak Spanish? Especially if you, if you drive south of Fort Lauderdale. Right. That was really interesting, but I, I fun times. Then I learned French, uh, then I learned Haitian Creole, and then I wanted to do something really different. I, I learned Mandarin Chinese. Really interesting. And on average, how long does it take for you to be- become conversational when you start to pick up a language? You can be conversational in two years if you're consistent about it. Uh, Chinese was the hardest one, but still, in two years, I was conversational and still learning new things to this day. Do you have a routine? I mean, do you spend some part of every day learning and working on a language? I try to. It's, it's hard, especially now as a lawyer and entrepreneur, but I, I really do try to. This year, I'm trying to improve my Cantonese and my uh, Persian Farsi. <laughs> wow. Yeah, go we'll, we'll wow. figure. Um, so I do spend some time in the morning, in the evening, even if it's just a few minutes. But with all these other languages, uh, you know, Chinese and Portuguese and Spanish, I do practice them often with, with clients and people I know. Uh, French is getting a little rusty, uh, but I, I still practice it whenever I can. And Mandarin, I get a lot of practice reading it too, because clients will send me messages. So that's how I keep, uh, keep up with those. So let's go back to your journey into a legal career. You mentioned that part of it was struggles your parents and neighbors and family members had just in general be, being immigrants. But then you also mentioned run-ins with the law and being the underdog. So I noticed when you first came out of law school, very early on in your legal career, you do criminal defense and public defender work. Is that what motivated you to get into that specifically is what you had seen growing up? Definitely what I saw growing up. So as I was going into law school my first year, I deviated a little bit. I, I thought I wanted the big corporate world. I thought I wanted China. And then I actually did a study abroad in China. Uh, this story is very interesting because it really had an impact on me. And so the, the classes were in Chinese. It was a Chinese law school. It was a fascinating experience. And when I was studying, I had a young man come up to me you know, the Chinese give themselves English names when they introduce themselves to you. So he called himself Michael Jordan. Uh, <laughs> and he was like five, five, six. <laughs> um, but so Michael Jordan came up to me and he goes, hey, are you Ai Fei Li? That's my Chinese name. Uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's me. Like, I, you know, they knew me as the only foreigner in, in the school. And uh, he goes, I have this thing you must watch. He gave me a USB. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so watch this and call me back the next day. And I watched it, and it was a documentary about the tank man, about what happened in Channel oh. Square, and about this man who stopped the tanks, you know, with the, holding the grocery bags and went up on top of the tank, uh, and we never heard from him again. And I'm watching it, and I'm reading the Chinese character. It was in English, you know, Chinese character below. I'm like, okay, I learned a few words. I'm like, why is this kid showing this to me? I didn't understand it because I know that in, in America we have 
uh, certain history that we're not proud about, but we, we learned about it, right? We learned about it in school. So my, right. I didn't understand why he was showing it to me. So I contacted him the next day. I said, why are you showing this to me? I, I mean, I appreciate the documentary. And he goes, because I just found out about this. Like, wow. Uh-huh. Wow. What do you mean you just found out about it? You're a, you're a law student. Like, you, you know, your parents had money. You're not from like the countryside where they don't have internet. What do you mean you're just finding out about this? Like, our government hides this from us. They don't teach us this. They hide it. He's like, go on Google or whatever I was able to access back then. At the time, you couldn't access Google. And type in Chandler Square Massacre and see what you get. And surely you get nothing. You'll get, you'll get the beautiful history of Tiananmen Square. And I'm like, wait a second. Then I showed the same USB to my wife's Chinese sister. She broke down in tears. Wow. She, she, she never heard about it. And I'm like, wait a second. And so that took me to another path. I still wanted to help the Chinese people. Uh, I still wanted to learn the language. I'm like, you know what? I need to be an advocate in America. Right? And so that changed it. So the next years, I did public interest internships. And uh, so th- that um, position out of law school, it was a fellowship where I had to learn immigration law. And then I got to be the expert in immigration at my public defense office. And that's important because you have a lot of foreign national clients who are arrested. uh, And what might be a good deal to resolve the case for a U.S. citizen might be a horrible deal for the foreign national. So that that was my job. And I I loved it. Yeah. And so those experiences, you know, growing up, it it just kind of came full circle, my experience in China. And and it just kind of led me to, to that career path. So even as a public defender, you still had that immigration angle. Absolutely. That was part of my fellowship. I was supposed to be uh, the expert there. All consultations relating to, you know, can this foreign national take a plea? Even the the senior attorneys would come up to me. And then I even did some of the cases that came from the office. Like, oh, this client was arrested. He had to plead to this. He's in deportation proceedings. Uh, I would drive to Buffalo. I was in Rochester, New York. I'd drive to Buffalo and represent them in immigration court. So when do you decide to throw up your own shingle and create your first immigration law firm? So the woman who taught me immigration law, she was a national expert in what we call crimigration, the intersect of criminal and immigration law. And uh, I kept in touch with her. She was working in Albany. It was a statewide program. And she goes, I'm leaving the program. I'm like, wow, we'll miss you. And she goes, I want you to take over. I'm like, I'm just two years out of law school. You've been doing this for 20 years. Like, come on, I know you can do it. And I interview. I got the job. I'm in Albany. And then there's some health issues with my family in Florida. So that organization actually allows me to keep working a little bit remotely. This was before remotely was a thing. It was mostly either manning hotlines or going to the public defender offices. So I would fly up to New York. So I, my parents moved from South Florida to Central Florida, and, and there were some health issues. And I said, you know what? I think I need to be with them for a little bit. So I continued working remotely as long as I could. Uh, and then I, I set up my practice. Actually, my childhood friend from South Florida, who also became a, an immigration attorney, he had also moved to Central Florida because his wife was going to go to uh, pharmacy school. And he became a more of a business immigration lawyer. And I had the more uh, removal, defense, immigration, human rights immigration lawyer. And we joined forces. And eventually I stopped doing the remote work for, for the organization, but I had the practice with him. And so with him, I was able to learn things that, you know, about business immigration law, representing investors, uh, people with exceptional abilities, and I taught him removal defense. And so we opened a law office that we could help immigrants from all walks of life. And that's something that I still stress very much to this day. And what year was that? That was 2013. So July, August, we're coming up on 10 years. And so your current firm's AG Immigration, when does that come to be? 
So the first one was Alexander Law Firm, last name uh, Alexander Law Firm. So AG Immigration, I still have Alexander Law Firm. Uh, so I have uh, Alexander Law Firm at AG. I'd say in 2014, I represented uh, Rodrigo Costa and his wife. They were clients and they became our friends. And then I would say in 2018, we start talking about maybe doing something together. They said, you guys, you need to do more things in the Brazilian community. I think you have so much potential. You obviously helped us. We're just seeing a, a whole lot of things going on. And I, I think we can even help you, uh, you know, do something bigger. And we're like, okay. So in 2019, AG Immigration was born and Rodrigo is our CEO and his wife is our CFO. And my wife, Glenya, is the COO. And tell me about the practice itself. I know you do business-related stuff. I know you do EB visas. What other types of practice areas in immigration are you doing at AG? So we do the EB visas, extraordinary abilities, uh, investors, uh, part of the EB visas, the religious visa, that's one of the EBs. And also through Alexander Law Firm, we brought in a humanitarian practice. So a lot of clients now, they will retain uh, AG for these services. So it's, it's really become one family in terms of the legal operation. We do a lot of asylum. I think we've done over 2,000 for uh, Chinese nationals. This is, this is Alexander Law Firm kind of uh, throwing it into AG. But now with, with AG, we're getting more clients from Latin America, uh, Brazil, who even want to do asylum. So we do U visas, uh, people who've been victim of a crime in the U.S., and now they, they cooperated with law enforcement. So with AG and, and Alexander Law Firm, we've, we've built this practice where Anybody from any walk of life, if they, if they qualify for an immigration avenue, we can help them. And how many attorneys do you have practicing with you now? We are at eight right now. We're going to step away from my conversation with Felipe for just a couple minutes. But when we come back, he tells us about how his firm is using VR to enhance the firm's client experience. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal. We need to do more with less. That is the key takeaway nowadays from almost every survey of in-house counsel. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if you actually could do more for less? By combining legal expertise and technology, Percipient enables legal teams to get more work done for less. Buried in contracts and sales is frustrated with turnaround time? We can help with that. Did you just get hit with a subpoena and reviewing 100,000 documents and files will tax your resources or cost you a small fortune in billable hours? We can help there, too. Our team of legal professionals leverage tech and project management principles with the right amount of human oversight to deliver precise, efficient, and cost-effective legal solutions. Whether it's legal operations and contract management support, subpoena compliance, or document review, Percipient is your partner in really doing more for less. Percipient, legal services powered by technology. We'll get back to my conversation with Felipe in just a second. But before I do, I want to let you know that if you want to get a hold of me with any questions, comments, or criticisms, or maybe some episode ideas, you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. You can also find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get back to my conversation with Felipe Alexandre of AG Immigration Law. He's just about to tell us how the firm is using VR to enhance their client consultations. So this is one of the cool things about uh, teaming up with my friend Rodrigo Costa. He's a CEO by nature. He's a business consultant, and he really keeps up with uh, you know technology and, and the trends and, and what's happening. And, and he saw Metaverse being a big thing, and you know he led us into that path. And so... 
uh, we got into it and we've done a few consultations according to, you know, some research. We don't know of an immigration law firm that did it before us. Uh, it's, it's possible, but we, we haven't heard about it. So thus far, we might be the first uh, immigration law firm to have gone on Metaverse. And so we've done a few consultations on it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I look forward to seeing how that's going to develop. So you do consultations with clients, prospective clients, but do you hold internal office meetings on there also? No, I don't think we've done that yet. No. And what was the impetus? Why did you think it would be a benefit to do consultations on the metaverse versus just doing it on Zoom or on the phone or in person? Uh, so obviously, uh, that's still how, how the vast majority of our consultations take place. But we saw how this is developing. And if it was going to be a thing of the future, we want to get on it now. If it's going to be a way that people are, are going to be communicating on a daily basis, at least we had our foot in the door you know, when, when the whole thing began. And is any significant portion of your clientele, are they uh, computer developers, computer scientists? I would definitely say some. Uh, so we, we do a visa called the National Interest Waiver for people who can contribute to the national interest in America. And so, yes, there, there's a good portion of our clients who are able to get that visa who are, uh, you know, computer engineers, uh, IT specialists, et cetera. I asked that because maybe I was thinking that that was one of the reasons you thought about the metaverse because maybe you could get more clients with that type of background. No, that wasn't really the thought. Uh, the thought was just kind of, you know, not a uh, fear of missing out <laughs> and, 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 and trying try to get in there before it became a big thing and, and making sure that if that is a platform where all of a sudden uh, many of our clients would choose to, you know, have a consultation on that we'd be fully ready to accommodate them. What has been the benefit? Have you gotten positive feedback from clients about it or what have you learned? I think there's been benefits, you know, clients admire that, you know, we're, we're trying to keep up with uh, technology. Uh, obviously, we got some recognition on law.com and that our clients thought that was super cool, you know, to see us being featured on that. I think it showed the market, it showed our clients that we're committed to keeping up with technology and, and the trends and, you know, that we're not comfortable. We, we're not going to sit in the comfort zone. Was part of this move to do virtual, to do VR? consultation with clients, was it because of the pandemic and how the practice laws changed since 2020? You know, I don't think so. I mean, the pandemic, you know, definitely uh, turned it into very much of a, a Zoom, Google Meet practice already. When that happened, I, I, I definitely, you know, wouldn't say that because it was already pretty much a, a, a virtual practice. And when I say virtual practice, we do have physical offices in, in, in several parts of the country. And so you do have clients that want to come to the office but the vast majority of our employment base, which is what AG kind of focuses on, it had been virtual for quite a while, even before we went on the metaverse. And is there any particular type of client that's better suited for doing a VR consultation versus others? I mean, they've got to be somewhat tech savvy, right? For sure. They have to be tech savvy. They have to love it. It's a very different experience. It's cool. It's fascinating. It's different. So you have clients who, who want to go on there and it can be fun. And tell me how it's different. Describe what happens, you know, t tell me the setup. Like, I know this is an audio podcast, but kind of describe for the listeners what it looks like in, in the AG immigration metaverse for a consultation. Are you in a conference room? Do you have your avatars? Basically, it is a conference room. And then there, there, there's a big uh, AG, you know, telescreen. And uh, if we have like a PowerPoint, you can kind of show the client, you know, the PowerPoint on that screen. And everybody's kind of looking at each other with, with their little avatars. It's a really fascinating experience. I, I did enjoy doing it. 
So is it a goal to do more of the consultations in VR? I think we would like to do that. Yeah, I mean, as as this starts to you know uh, become more of, of of an experience that people are looking forward to having on, on the daily basis, yes, uh, for sure. We hope to get more requests to to do it. Yes, I guess the next iteration of this would be. And it's already happened. I think in South America. I think it was South America. I think it was Bolivia, maybe VR court proceedings. Right? You know, that's kind of the next most logical step, right? That could definitely be because now we're doing. A lot of court on on Zoom and on WebEx and and things like that. So yeah, that that could definitely make sense. Is there anything you get out of a VR session that you wouldn't get out of a Zoom session? It's just a very different experience, you know. You, I mean, because you, you you kind of feel like you're interacting with the client a little, a little bit. You kind of feel like you're in the same room, but you're not. It's it's uh it's 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 very surreal. Was there ever a worry that? clients on the other end, especially prospective clients, wouldn't take you as serious because it was VR. Not because it's VR, the tech, but a lot of times these avatars are still cartoonish. You know, they're not like the video game type, realistic NBA 2K type of people. Were you ever worried about that, that some people might take it the wrong way? The kind of clients that would want to get on the platform, like you said, are clients who are passionate about this developing technology. So no, I think they they understand the current limitations of the technology, but they're they're excited to kind of kind of be the you know the first on that wave. If someone's out there listening and they're thinking about doing this or have thought about it, any pointers, any tips, anything you learned that you'd recommend they do or not do? If you're passionate about it and you think that your clients would enjoy having this option, it, it can be fun. I really did enjoy the experience. So uh, I think it's important to do things that that you enjoy, that you're passionate about, that drives you. So if you're one of those people and, and you've been following this uh, technology, go for it. It's, it's, it's fun. Felipe, I appreciate your time. If people want to learn more about you or your practice and AG Immigration, where should they go? They can go to our website, AG Immigration. Uh, they can Google us. We're also on AVO, AVVO. We have the, the highest ratings that attorneys can get. You know, We're very grateful about that. And we're here to serve immigrants from all walks of life. All right. Thanks, Felipe. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, sir. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.